Hello and welcome to True Alignment. I'm Edgar Papke. And I'm Ken Sagendorf. Welcome to the True Alignment Podcast, episode 33. We're live uh, in the Innovation Incubator in the Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University here in Denver, Colorado today. How are you, Edgar? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm good. You had a meeting this morning, so we're, we're a little late. I had meetings yesterday. We're recording a day late. Yeah. Everybody's been busy in meetings, spending a lot of time <laughs> in meetings and hoping that they're always productive. Hoping. And that's going to be a future podcast is how do we align for more productive meetings? Yeah. Uh, really, really useful. We should get Johnny Say on for that one. Yeah, that's actually a good idea. Yeah. Uh, we have a guest today, Joe Tartell, and we'll introduce Joe in a minute. Um, Joe, a colleague of ours, Johnny Say, has a company called Stale Chips. And his uh, the tagline is, your meetings are stale chips. <laughs> it's Johnny. It is Johnny. Yeah. That's exactly how he is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So welcome, Joe. Nice to have you with us here on, on True Alignment. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, let's give, let's give Joe a little intro. Uh, you know, here in the Anderson College of Business, um, Joe is uh, part of our executive advisory board. And, and now working as a fellow in the Innovation Center because he's been instrumental in helping us uh, uh, grow the Innovation Challenge, our annual business competition. Uh, Joe also teaches a class with me, uh, Entrepreneurship, where we try and get our graduate students to um, grow a business in eight weeks from idea to implementation and operation. Um, sometimes successful, sometimes less so, uh, but always a, a good activity. Um, and Joe, I don't I don't remember how we met. Yeah, that's a great question, Ken. I was thinking back to that as well. It's been, it's been a few years, but uh, I was um, previously, uh, we were introduced by, um, by Sherry Plants Masters. Um, it was years ago, uh, I was just getting Inverify started, and I had two or three different things going on at the same time, and I remember talking to Sherry about the need to get more uh, business folks trained on technology. Yeah. And she was very receptive to that. And then next thing I knew it and verify kind of took off and I disappeared for a few years. Um, and then a few years back after I, after I sold and verify, I reached out to Sherry and uh, she made the introduction to us. Yeah. I, w- I want to get into the conversation about and verify Joe. Thanks for sharing. That. I just want to add a little clarity. That's one of the few times that I've heard someone being introduced to you, Ken, without beer being involved. <laughs> put that out there. That was Edgar. My introduction, you know, was uh, three hours of uh, beer fueled uh, excitement and exploration. So um, we come back to that one a lot. Yeah. The um, uh, Joe, I want to, you know, ever since we met, one of the things that, that I love and, and, and one of the many reasons that I uh, love working with Edgar is I, I always want to hear people's stories. Like, how did you end up where you are today? And I, and I want to lead up to talking a little bit about and verifying where you are now. Um, but gi- give us the, the Joe Tartell short history. Oh, great. That's uh, love it. It's, it's fun when someone wants to know your story and your background. So I appreciate you asking about that. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to go way back. Um, I'll start with, uh, you know, you know, my career started off in the automotive industry in Detroit. I worked for uh, General Motors out of college and, uh, during college, I interned for a few years there. So uh, they had large internship programs back then so that you would just get familiar with how the, uh, the organization operated so that then when you graduate, 
come on and be productive. So you know the right people to connect with and all. So I did a few years of the interning there and then started as a, a product engineer in the automotive industry in Detroit in, uh, in the early 90s. So um, that was a fun and exciting time to be in Detroit. There were lots of things going on. Um, and, uh, you know, I spent, a few, I spent a few years there and started to realize that uh, you know, I wanted to branch out. I wanted to learn about some other industries, kind of get out of the product, product engineering and development. And that kind of prompted me to go back to, to business school. Um, I started looking around at different colleges for, for, for an MBA and uh, had a friend that invited me up to Boulder and, uh, and, and that was it. I'd never history. been to Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first trip out here. We, uh, we came out, uh, spent a couple nights in Boulder with some of his friends and we were in our, you know, our late twenties and, and, uh, and a few days skiing in Aspen. So, um, I was, I was sold. <laughs> it doesn't take much, does it? <laughs> I mean, pr- pretty nice that's, place. Yeah. That's, that's a couple of highlights right there, Boulder and Aspen for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun too. At the time, the, um, they had a new dean at the business school who was from Babson College, Bud Sorensen, and uh, he had built an entrepreneurship program yeah. at, at Babson College. The best, sure. Yeah, and uh, he, he only uh, stayed around Boulder for a couple years, but had a chance to, to meet him. And I, I wasn't really thinking about entrepreneurship at the time, but it was, it was fun to just learn from him for, for a year or two in the MBA program. Joe, you know, one of the things um, – as you share that story from being a, a product engineer there uh, in the automotive industry with General Motors and then, um, you know, coming back and exploring uh, whether or not to get an MBA and, and explore the next career, one of the things that I've always been impressed by is this curiosity that you have. I mean, you are watching things and you're, and you're looking at things. Um, and, 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 you know, one of the most phenomenal traits is that you then you go learn about it. I mean, and I've seen you do that multiple times. Edgar, in our work in alignment, we talk about curiosity's role. Quite um, a bit. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that from an organization's perspective, the value of having somebody inside your organization with that level of curiosity? I think that's a question for me then or for Joe? For you. Yeah. Well, I, when when you peel everything away from it, uh, curiosity lends itself to and is the source of creativity of innovation, right? So you come at it through that lens, and I, I think when I think about even your transition of moving away from just product engineering and the automotive industry and, and asking yourself, gee, what else is out there? What am I seeking? What am I looking for? Um, to have a curiosity is really what what, what that's all about. I, I think also when you look at curiosity in relationship to organizational and organizational performance, you find that um, if there's a higher propensity in a culture, in an organization, and it's individuals for curiosity, there's a direct correlation between that and performance. I think sometimes curiosity scares people because it seems like we're going outside the boundaries or outside the lines that dictate our our already specified definitions of success. And curiosity pushes those limitations. It, It questions what is our current definition of success and what else is possible out there? Um, in fact, I made a note when you, when you uh, talked about moving from product engineering and beginning to search for something else. And, and just the curiosity of, of, of looking elsewhere 
of, of looking in a different environment than when you're in. I, I find that there's a really big difference between Detroit, Michigan, and Boulder, Aspen, Colorado. <laughs> Just a little. There's a different landscape. It is some great work uh, beyond uh, when you think that the extended mind and um, the realization that people that find their paths to different forms of nature will think differently and problem solve and be creative at higher levels. We know that. We know that from a scientific and behavioral standpoint. So it's interesting. So what I'd like to do is now hear about, here you are in Colorado. You've got this opportunity to study entrepreneurship. So tell us more about that. Yeah, it's, um, it was great. It was a great opportunity. And, and I think um, it's funny that, you know, I never really thought about it from the being driven by curiosity. Um, it, it definitely wasn't an economic decision. <laughs> I sat down with, uh, I sat down with mentors and other folks that, you know, executives at GM who uh-huh. each one of them said, bad idea. You know, wh- why are you going to Boulder, Colorado? Why are you going back and getting an MBA? But there was still something that was driving me to, uh, to want to want to pursue that. And so, um, uh, the entrepreneurship was, was kind of a minor piece. It was, it was me wanting to branch out, look more into finance operations, understand more about how companies operate. Um, and that's when I got, uh, turned on to, um, consulting because I had not really thought much about consulting. And as I did some research and learning in the business school, they, they taught a lot about, you know, going into investment banking or consulting at the time in the nineties, those were probably the two hot careers coming out of MBA schools and, uh, and, and consulting really intrigued me. And I got an internship with a small consulting firm in, in Boulder in between year one and year two of MBA. Uh, th- they designed the program back then where you, uh, it was great cause they didn't, they didn't want you to work during school. They wanted you to hundred percent dedicated to your MBA program. So you got to really network with your colleagues uh, they brought in a lot of local executives, most Siegel from um, Celestial Seasonings at the time was just kind of <laughs> booming and taking off. Yeah. So we got a chance to hear hear him uh, speak about th- that business model and what they were doing there. So um, a lot of uh, fun, exciting things going on. And so had a chance to 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 really embrace in school and not not try to balance, you know, a 20, 30 hour week job while cramming yeah. in my MBA part-time in the evening. So that was a nice luxury to have, but it also enriched my experience too. Um, Joe, so tell us a little bit about, I know the, I know the story about the consulting group you, you went to and, you know, I'm going to make the tie that um, the things you have touched tend to grow. So tell me about the consulting you did, which was a, a different lane than people had been thinking about previously. Yeah, that's, um, we were doing at the time I was, I was part of a, um, a group up in Boulder called Electronic Commerce Associates and Tim Enwall was the, uh, was the founder of the company and he's, he's now a successful entrepreneur in, in Boulder, uh, connected with tech stars and some other places, but he had started a, a consulting firm to really help startup companies, um, put together business plans. Um, at the time, funding was just, you know, startups were going and venture capital and flow was just, was really flowing. And what he noticed was there was a missing component of like getting them to slow down a little bit, put a good business plan in place, think about your technology, your architecture and all those components. So he assembled 
uh, a bunch of different people together with different backgrounds and experiences to, to help do some of that. And so um, we went pretty hard and fast at the uh, uh, internet startups and do, doing business planning for them. So yeah, it, it grew rapidly quick. And then it eventually was acquired by a company called Gartner, uh, the Gartner Group, one of the uh, top research firms in the, uh, in the U.S. And you worked for Gartner for a little while, right? Yeah. So I was there for about uh, three to four years after that, once they, once they acquired our company. Was there a lot of change that the organization underwent when Gartner acquired it? Yeah, it was. I mean, we were a small, we were a small firm, probably only uh, you know, 20, uh-huh. 20, 25 employees. And they felt like they wanted that. That was a level of expertise they hadn't really built out. Um, and they wanted to get some of the exposure, the type of customers, the startups that we were working with. Gartner, Gartner traditionally focused on you know, the fortune 1000s and selling large research accounts. And they were just kind of getting into consulting services as well. And so they, they acquired electronic commerce associates, um, to be part of their portfolio. But yeah, it was a big change. You know, the, uh, you had to learn the, um, operational processes and the procedures to get, uh, a project approved and then, you know, through the right levels of review. And, and that was new to us because we were moving so quick with a relationship. Hey, I met this person. They want this, this, and this. Sat down with two or three partners. We scoped out what we wanted to do, and we were off and running. Um, and then you go with a you know, multi-billion dollar company, and they have a different level of risk and liability they have to consider. <laughs> so there were levels of review that that uh, that did slow things down a little bit. But, but for the good, you know, we, we were not taking on projects that that we shouldn't take on that would stretch us into areas that maybe we didn't have the expertise for. So I have a curiosity. What was your favorite aspect um, of, of that work? So in the consulting realm, what, what did you like about it best? What did you like doing most? Yeah, I, I think it was learning something new. I mean, I, I really, we, we put ourselves into projects where we had a core level of expertise, but the customer was moving into an area that was new for everybody. So they, they knew that they weren't hiring a consultant that had done that five times. Um, they knew that we had the core expertise around the foundational things, but they were going into a new market or a new area. And, and that was really exciting because we were learning together. Um, you know, markets were coming together. There was a, uh, it was before the cloud became the cloud, but uh, back in the day, they used to use the term application service provider, ASP, <laughs> for, for those who have been around for a while with it. But uh, we were doing some research and helping companies figure out business models to be application service providers. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we were learning together. and It was just the, the new things that, that hadn't come together yet. There was an article just out last week, actually. I think it was in Harvard Business Review about you know, the best consultants um, can both um, present to the organization they're consulting with, the people they're consulting with, and learn simultaneously. And, and really walk through that kind of model of the consultant as um, expert learner simultaneously. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that because you, you think about it as I'm listening to you and, and your story. Um, in the world of consulting, you, you like you said, you brought specific expertise with you that's really foundational. It's foundational to the business and to the modeling, yet being uh, open to its ap- the application of those areas of expertise to a situation that's new. Um, and you're 
actually looking for new discoveries, new ways to see things, and how do we how do we apply what we already know to uh, and see the possibilities and how to apply those. And I and I think customers really appreciate that. I mean, yeah. that's we um, I'm, I'm bouncing around a little bit here, but in, in we'll talk about and verify a little bit later. But one of our flagship customers was Google, um, and you know, we didn't pursue or search for Google. They, they found us and, and there was a little bit of luck involved, but we, we went in and we talked to them and we went through a lot and then they ended up selecting our services. After we sold the deal, we went back and we said, you know, can you tell us why you selected us? Right. And I'll never forget this. The, the guy that we sold to said, the reason we selected you, you are the only vendor that was willing to brainstorm with us and go to an area that no one else we ended up not doing that. They, um, it was a new way to do some data collection that, that we needed to do for them. And uh, they asked us if we'd be willing to do that. And we said yes. And we started to brainstorm what it would look like. Well, they didn't make us do it because it would have been really difficult for us to do that, a large investment. And I don't know if we could have pulled it off. But they were just excited that we were the only vendor that would collaborate with them and go to a space that wasn't completely known. Um, you know, we weren't trying to show that we had expertise that we didn't, but we were just willing to brainstorm and collaborate with them. And they really appreciated that. And they said, those are the types of partners we want because that's going to help us grow too. So that was a, that was a really monumental piece for us to, to take back to and verify. It's, it, it really speaks loudly to the idea of co-creation and uh, collaboration and aspects of trust in the collaboration. We, we talk here on the podcast, well, we have a couple of times about dimensions of trust in relationships and how those exist. And I think sometimes in the consulting world, people just say, well, the trust is in somebody's expertise and, and their, um, their ability to you know, solve problems based on what they already know. And then there's another form, there's other forms of trust. And the other two are, how well am I being heard and listened to? And um, how much are you really engaged in understanding who we are, who I am, and that aspect of it, as well as the curious, there's a, there's a fundamental element of curiosity that um, shows up as a form of vulnerability. So that when we're vulnerable and we're really curious, we're, we're able to, in that moment, say, I don't know. I don't know, and I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to explore and see what that looks like. And I can't do that without listening to you and understanding it. So that's a really great example of how that how that can work. And it's interesting because you're asking the question, well, why did you choose us? Because there's so many experts out there. There's so many that already uh, laid a claim to know what they're already doing. Well, that's great. But are you really listening and paying attention to what we're seeking and what we're looking for and how to apply it to us? That's a great storyline. Yeah. Well, he says a lot about how Google has attained levels of success that it has in, in, in its application of its strategies and strategic thinking to come all the way back and peel away at that and be able to say, let's look at it again. Let's see what we can do differently. Those are all great. Um, those are great modeling uh, models of, of how to apply that curiosity and to think about it in terms of innovation. Edgar, is it a, do you think it's a revisiting, a reclamation of uh, of something very personal as an organization, I mean, even a, an organization the size of Google saying, you know, I, I want the consultant to see me, to yeah. see me. Yes. Right? I mean, and I think that is the... Yeah, they right on the nail head with that. Right? I mean, the, the McKinsey's, the Deloitte's, um, whether or not you're their customer doesn't matter so much. 
And sometimes they look, and sometimes I think in consulting people looking for information that fit into their models, uh, you know, here's the sequence of what we need and we're going to feed it back to you this way. And very often I think that's what shows up as, well, you're already telling us something we already know and that's what we're paying you for. I, and I do, I think that's a, that's a, do you really see me and do you really see us for who we are and be, and your willingness to explore that and help us to explore it? I think that's that's the nuance, is I can ask you questions and tell you what you already know. Am I asking you questions that help you to unfold and better understand who you are and to, to help you explore? And That, uh, that level of love. That's uh, that service. Yeah, uh, I love it. Joe, I'll bring that back, and I'll relate it to Joe's conversation. So, you know, you mentioned GM, and you get to go in, and you and you get to talk to some of the um, – you know, folks in, in, in bigger positions than you were in and talk about these things very personal. You come out of your MBA. I, I just want to interrupt here for a moment, just real quickly. When I was a kid, we were going to visit my cousin in Windsor, Canada, and I remember being in the back of my father's Ford Fairlane because we're driving from New York, New Jersey, up to Detroit, and as we're approaching a, a Detroit, we see this big cloud of pollution, you know, just hovering over Detroit. And out of my, out of my, just my naivety of, I was probably about seven, eight years old. I said to my father, I said, what is that? And he said, that's General Motors. <laughs> just thought I'd mention it. I love it. But Joe, you, you're, <laughs> I, I mean, that's, General Motors. Right? I mean, that's the time of the day, right? I mean, yeah. the, uh, I know, uh. Uh, a friends of ours, their kid, there's a, there's a factory down in Colorado Springs <laughs> and she called it the, the cloud making factory, <laughs> right? Cause the plumes of smoke out of the smokestacks. Um, so Joe, you get to, you're at, you're at GM, you get to go and ask those kinds of questions. Um, you go to work for that small consulting firm and, and it grows a little bit. Um, what's the next Joe Tartell step career wise? Yeah, great. Well, it's, it's, um, there was another interim step in there too. I was with Accenture for, for a while, but, uh, um, yeah, so, so I, I, you know, I've, I've been blessed. Um, I've, I've had great, you know, work experiences, worked for some excellent companies, great managers and leaders and all. Um, and one of the nice things about consulting is you get to see a lot of companies, a lot of different types of, of projects, but I'd hit a point in my career where I was doing a lot of it strategy, business planning for technology companies, and I'd never really worked inside of an it department. And so that was, you know, you guys were talking about curiosity early. It's um, that was, you know, something that was starting to burn inside of me. I thought, wow, I've never worked inside an IT organization. I, I wonder what that's like. And uh, I also thought I've never really worked for a big staple company in my hometown because I'd always worked for either small companies or a large company that I was I was I was commuting to. And so uh, an opportunity came up with Molson Coors. The Molson Coors merger was just happening. And they were looking for some IT resources to help merge some of their big IT outsourcing contracts and combine IT resources from our friends in Canada and here in Denver and 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 to do some of that work. And so um, I decided to give that give that a try. And I, I, I you know I was fortunate to get a great role there. I was a, a bit IT business partner with the HR, finance, and legal teams. And so what that meant was whenever they went to kick off any type of initiative that had a technology component, I would be their, their right-hand person to sit there and help them think through, uh, you know, what type of technology should we source or how does it play and what, what should the investment be and all that kind of stuff. So uh, 
gr- great experience working working with Molson Coors. So that's kind of where I moved next, so just so I could really understand yeah. what it looks like inside of an IT organization. Well, and there you also got to ask questions about why they did things certain ways, right? Which led to ultimately where and verify comes from. That, that's right. That's that's a great point, Ken. That's a, a perfect lead in the. Um, uh, as I was working with the HR leadership team there, they were looking for a a vendor to do employment and income verifications. And and what that was for was um, when their employees would go out to refinance or get a loan, um, uh, the banks or mortgage companies would call Molson Coors and say, hey, does does Ken work here? How long has he been there? How much does he make? Um, And that's a real burden for organizations to, to have to fulfill that. And so they were looking for a partner to outsource that service, or actually they had a partner in, in, in Equifax, they, they were outsourcing it with uh, Equifax and didn't like, didn't like um, the service that they were getting with them. And so uh, I started to research, not for my own personal interest, but to help them find a vendor, and I couldn't find a vendor in the space. And the other one that I found was, was not, uh, not doing a great job. You know, we, we talked to them and interviewed them, but they just, they weren't very professional, very small. Uh, organization. So that, that kind of led to the idea to, to launch an employment and income verification service. And, and Joe, there was a distinction. Um, you and I, when we teach together, we always say you got to spend enough time with the customers. So there was a distinction for Inverify that um, was a gap um, that, that you found when you were doing that research. What was that gap that you found for Inverify? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, ga- the gap really sat where... Um, the market needed someone, a vendor that would come in and provide a service that would provide benefits to the employees of these companies that they're outsourcing to. Uh, a lot of the other folks in the space um, were information processing or credit services companies doing this, and it was more of a transactional thing. And so we positioned it as a uh, an employee service that provided a great benefit to um, the employees that the HR department were we're serving. So that became a nice differentiator for us. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to throw the movie reference in here. Uh, might be a little premature, but, um, you know, as we, as we think about the entrepreneur uh, and, and again, you know, we, we throw out the big ones, we throw out the jobs, the gates, the Elon Musk, the Richard Branson, who am I, who am I missing? The Howard Schultz at Starbucks um, that we assign them some gigantic creative genius like they've seen something nobody has ever thought of before, right? I mean, that's how we popularly sell um, the role of an entrepreneur. And, and, and here's the, the, the weekly movie reference. Um, you know, I have teenagers, which means that um, when movies play ad nauseum on the cable channels, they watch them again and again and again. <laughs> and, and one of the movies that is, uh, is always on in our house at one point or another, I try and get them to watch The Godfather, but, you know, I get <laughs> outvoted on that one, um, is the Ocean's Eleven remake. You know, and, uh, you know I, I love this story. I love any movie that has kind of a, an unforeseen twist that you can't quite figure out as it goes through. And, and Steven Soderbergh does a wonderful uh, directing job in that movie of, of making the making the scheme work, right? I mean, and for those of us that have seen the original, we knew a little bit about what was coming, but um, he still does a really good job with that modern cast. But, but Joe, your, your How and Verify grew wasn't about you masterminding something. It was about that, you know, mix of that curiosity again, but also paying attention into 
a very acute way and also being able to put yourself in the shoes of, of somebody that was using the service in this, where your data went, which is, you know, a, a, an increasing and ever growing conversation in all of our lives, where your data went and who had it and who could control it and who was, who was benefiting from having that data. Um, that was, that was really in Verify's play. Yeah, that's, that's right, Ken. I mean, that, that became our mantra. We, we didn't start with that, but after a year or two, um, our employees really ra- rallied around the fact that, you know, we're in business to protect employee data. And um, that's what our, our, our team was really passionate about. They, 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 they believed in only releasing data when they're, they're provided the proper consent. Um, and, and that was a big, a big part of, of our culture and, and who we became and all the, all the processes that we built, built around that for security and, and control. That's a great example of the alignment that takes place. You're the provider of the product or service, and you've got the customer, which is the organization. And then you have the consumer or actual benefactor of the service, which is the employee. And to be able to see that kind of alignment through that and be able then to uh, culturally in your organization, a way that you just stated it is let's align ourselves to that. Let's align ourselves to the basic principle um, through which we operate and guides us in our decision-making in terms of how we use and how we leverage data, how, how it is that we bring our service to the world in a way that's uh, truly aligned to the value that the employee would want you to hold dear. And then that beyond all else is the critical factor. And then be able to align all the way through and you get, can get a sense of that in the way you describe it. Yeah, and, and we learned with that with that cultural mindset and, and proposition that um, it's still a great business model. The margins were good. Um, and it, it made it even stronger because we could see that if, if we would let go of that, um, we could make a lot more money on the, the records and the data that we had by, by um, you know, not doing anything illegal, but selling it into research companies and all these kind of things. But that was a core violation of our our values and principles. And so we never, we never went down that path um, with, with the Inverify business model. And it really strengthened, you know, it was funny because we didn't sit down and come up with that. That was something that just naturally came up to be our mantra that, you know, protecting employee data and, 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 um, and, and, and really taking big data down to the individuals. Like big data is great as long as you can figure out ways for the individual employee to benefit from it. And, and that's, that's what we really focused on is, okay, if this employee wants me to release this information so they can get their loan process faster and they can get all that to do it, then we'll do it and we'll do it as f- efficient as possible. But we're going to stop there. We're not going to sell their profile that, oh, this is a 45-year-old female who shops this much online and makes this much money working at these three companies. We didn't go that, that piece because that's not something that the employee would have benefited, benefited from. So w- we had a nice... Um, boundary around uh, what what we stood for what our culture is about and and we had to make some sacrifices we you know we, we could have made a lot more money doing that but um, we, we didn't go down that path you know I know I, I when I work with uh, entrepreneurs I have this conversation Edgar I want to invite you into kind of your experience uh, over the years with companies because we end up you know when I when I work with entrepreneurs uh, one of the things that I keep coming back to is revenue is easy. The right revenue is difficult. 
and sustained right revenue is really difficult um, to figure out. But Edgar, I, you know, I've been in the room with you as we're working with organizations. Right, to differentiate what, what's good revenue and what's bad revenue. Yeah, um, yeah. right, because, um, and, and it's a misunderstanding of the core of the organization. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, I think what you said, Joe, was, you know, we found that and we wanted to be, um, you know, that was part of our culture and our decision making. Um, we started the podcast from the concept of the great resignation. And, and one of the conversations afoot in all of, uh, of business is, uh, you know, the employees want to work for businesses that stand for something, um, that they're aware that they can see that. And, you know, that way that you're caring for that consumer and, and, you know, to think about an organization, the size and the, in the heft of a Google, really making some of those decisions around um, it's time to show that we care for our employees. Um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a modern move, right? Uh, and, I, and I think really this is, this is some of the contrast. I mean, Edgar, I know you've seen it. You've seen it for, for decades. And, and I don't mean modern like it just happened now, but... You know, in in the sheer industrial age, that wasn't really. I mean, right? I mean, pre-union, this wasn't a conversation about caring for your employees. I was speaking of Detroit. It was Henry Ford sending sending his <laughs> HR reps out to the bridge to beat up people, right? And yeah, that's true. <laughs> Interesting alignment. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. But but I, go ahead. Well, to me, this this gets really interesting, and um. And it be, for me, it begs a further exploration out of curiosity. You said that it just kind of became your mantra or the, the way of being. I would love to have been, a, I'm not going to say flying a while, I would have loved to have been in the room to hear how that conversation evolved. Because that's, it's somewhat on the line whether it's a specific moment a decision is made on a larger scale or there's specific moments that decisions are made along the way that create the alignment, the verification of this is who we are and this is how we're going to operate and this is what our culture is going to be about and our value. I'd love to be able to go back and unfold that and unwind that and just imagine the, the uh, multiple decisions that reinforce that value, that reinforce that way of being. Um, it, it's much like you for yourself then looking back on it, that becomes part of your legacy. And... Um, Legacy reminds us that death doesn't really have the final word, that we have that opportunity in every single moment that we make a decision to create that legacy. And that then as a leader, as an entrepreneur, becomes part of you and who you are. I mean, I could get the sense of pride, you telling the story of how significant that is, that you made that decision. And that then elevates itself into all the possibilities, including then revisiting, well, is that really good revenue? Is that really who we are? And you use the word sacrifice. You, you sacrifice something along the way. That's a really powerful way to position it. But one could say, well, we sacrificed the growth of the organization, and perhaps what you didn't sacrifice is the, is the more important aspect of the decisions you made and how aligned you were to those. I, I find that just remarkable and have a curiosity of just how that actually happened because I think there's wonderful teaching in that. Uh, and also just a simple idea, maybe it just, yeah, maybe it does just percolate. It does. Just like great innovations do, we percolate, we, we, we prototype. And 
and perhaps it was really tested and the character of your organization was tested along the way, which includes your character. Well, I think you said it well. I mean, for, for us, it really did. It was a series of moments and um, it wasn't a sit down with our leadership team and, and define this mantra and then build to it. It was, it was slapping us in the face. <laughs> our customers were telling us things. We were making decisions and we would look then at that decision and say, oh, wow. You know, and, and it was just becoming more and more obvious. And so then it just all of a sudden, uh, and the, really the place where we started to write it down was when we were hiring new recruits. And because they want to know, well, oh, you're a startup company. Well, what are you all about? Because they're, they're taking on a lot of risk in going with a startup company. My job may only last three months, so we better have something there that's more meaningful to them than, than job security. And, um, and that naturally came out, and that's when we started really documenting it and putting it down and saying, well, you know, our vision is about um, protecting employee data and being good stewards of this data. Um, and, and bringing big data down to the individual to make it beneficial for the individual. It's almost like, you know, if, if Home Depot said, okay, Joe, if you release all your information about your online purchases and all your hardware purchases in the last five years, I'll give you a 10% discount. Well, I do that in a minute, right? But when someone just mines that data and, and doesn't ask for my permission and sells it and monetizes it, then I might start getting a little bit upset mm -hmm. about that. But if, but if that benefit comes back to me in some kind of form, I might be more open to it. And then everybody wins, right? We all win when we share that kind of information. So, um, but, but yeah, it's a good, good, good thing to point out, Edgar. Thanks. Well, Annette, I, I'm going to come back to that. Um, I don't know whether to call it patience or I don't know that I have another word, word for it right this second, but, but Joe, you, um, in verify, um, not in moments, but over an extended period of time, uh, becomes more and more successful uh, enough to enough that you had a successful exit and and now what's the life of Joe Tartell what are you in search of now Joe <laughs> um, I, I, and I and I you know I know some of you um, working with uh, with a friend and acquaintance um, to help them out as a um, kind of part-time CTO um, were you looking for something? I, I guess that's my question. <laughs> Other than powder and aspen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. That, yeah. It, I mean, I think uh, myself and, and, and others included in similar situations, you know, we're always searching for what's next. And, and, and I don't think that uh, folks that are wired like I am are, are content and, and settle down. We're always looking for the next thing to do to, to, to make a difference, to be involved socially with, with people and, and use your skills, use their skills and, and all that. Um, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I, I've been doing, you know, right now, um, a, a fractional CIO role. And what I found is there's a lot of mid-sized and small businesses that need um, IT kind of executive leadership thinking, but they don't really need an IT executive full-time. And so I've been offering my services to do those kind of things. I'm working with a really exciting energy company right now that's working in the data center space. And I've been helping them not only with their internal systems, but even some of their outward facing um, services have a big technology component. And I've been helping them think through some of the strategies there as well. Do you find in those kinds of roles that um, the companies understand the value of 
a technology executive being connected internally and externally simultaneously? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. We've had a lot of discussion. I hadn't thought much about the, what's the difference between a CIO versus a CTO. And you know, a lot of people define CTOs as more outward facing and CIOs is more internally facing. And, um, uh, I'm not sure what the perfect blender mix is, but, but we've, we've definitely batted that concept around and what, what makes sense. So, you know, for some of the companies I'm working with now, um, it's opportunistic. They just need some help with making some internal IT decisions. So I, I jump in where I can and help, help them with that. But, um, yeah, it's a good, it's a, it's a good question. I'm not sure what the answer to that is. You know, I, um, are you finding when you get inside some of these organizations that you're asking what they're about? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been fun because I've, um, I'm pulled into, uh, you know, I go in as a you know, CIO for hire, which, you know, is more of a nuts and bolts techie kind of guy. Um, and that's, that's a little bit of who I am, but there's a whole nother aspect. And I find myself getting pulled into, um, leadership conversations about strategy and, uh, even sales and how, you know, how could we take this to market differently? And, and that, and that's pretty fun. And, um, it, uh, it, it shows how, um, you know, when organizations are doing that, they need to have a lot of different voices at the table for that stuff. It's, yeah. you know, it's not just the sales and marketing folks that should be strategizing on that. It's your operations, your IT, um, your HR, all those folks have, have great ideas. And so I've been getting involved in that as well. So um, I'm being uh, somewhat conscious of time here. So I'd, one last uh, question for you. So if you can imagine me sitting across the table from you and I'm about as quote unquote green as I could be, fact, I'm that intern that you were years and years ago. I'm that intern. And I'm sitting across the table from, from you. What's the one piece of advice that you would give me? What's the one piece of advice, no boundaries, that you would give me? That one we should have given you ahead of time. Yeah, I was, I was, looking, <laughs> I, I, I was looking for my script, but I couldn't find it because <laughs> it doesn't exist. That's a great question. Uh, you know, uh, it'd be fun to answer that and then wait two or three days and answer it again and then come back and see, see if my answer changes. But I love the, prototypes. <laughs> yeah, yes. I think, the, uh, I think my first gut reaction to that, that question is um, it's all about the people. And, uh, you know, you're not going to have all the answers, and that's okay. Um, you know, understand how to work with other people to leverage their insights, their expertise, and, and help pull that together. And so, I, you know, I think that the, 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 wor the words of wisdom would be, you know, uh, build relationships, work, and, and work together with other people, and, and you'll get a, a much better outcome all the time. Thank you. Yeah. Real pleasure um, having you here with us today. Thank you very much for your time, uh, for letting us uh, get to know you and letting for our audience getting to know you, John. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, I'd like to remind everyone out there in the audience that all questions, thoughts, comments, anything at all, as always, are welcome at info at truealignment.com.
let us hear from you. And a little self-promotion, um, our next executive education class in Anderson, um, run by uh, Edgar himself, um, the Learning to Lead for Emerging Leaders, uh, both on ground and online over the course of nine months, uh, begins this September. And if you're interested in finding information, regis.edu slash innovation. Yeah, come and join us. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of learning. And and uh, at the end of the day, it's all about you becoming who you want to be. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for sharing you, Joe. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your time. I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. Have a great day, everybody. See you next time around. <laughs>